You said I pushed this for record, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hey, Melanie, how are you? I'm okay, how are you? Doing very well, are you excited for this week? Yes. Give me give me a percentage One nervous. You to describe human emotions? <laughs> so, last week we teased uh, a, a, a chat about about one of our fa- one of our favorite shows that's currently on, right? Unreal. Yeah. And so I, we figured it was, you know, I guess the new episode's coming out tonight, uh, since we're releasing, you know, releasing on Monday. So before it starts, it's probably prudent of us to chime in. Um, so I guess if you haven't seen Unreal, skip ahead to our, uh, after show discussion later on in the pod. Um, but it was, it was a very, interesting episode which in some ways solidified my view of the season and in other ways really made me question if they know what they're doing so for those of you who may not care enough to skip ahead but are interested in what we're talking about and i think if you don't watch unreal this is still a a, an important conversation uh, if, if you don't want to get spoiled, that's another thing. But Unreal is a show based on the sort of backstage antics of a Bachelor-type reality show. We've talked about it before. It's really – last season was really great. Constance Zimmer got a nomination for Best Supporting Actress, and both Alan and I have been huge fans. This season, they – tried to kind of up the stakes a little bit. And one of the ways in which they did that was they made their suitor on this fake Bachelor-type show um, a black football player. And they've made a – or one of the characters has made a really big deal about having the first black suitor on a dating show like this. And they did something interesting. Alan, I'll let you sort of pick it up from there. Yeah, so so basically what happens in the show is – in, in this episode, you know, Rachel's still sort of reeling from the whole Jeremy situation. She and Coleman are, they look like they're actually starting to get in a little uh, routine. Quinn's off with the new network owner, um, you know, being Quinn. And so, you know, they're trying to find a way to, to gin up drama. I think at some point, I'm forgetting some of the specific episode, but Darius basically has had enough. Darius um, the suitor. Yeah, Darius the suitor has basically had enough of the whole thing. Um, his his buddy Romeo comes back, <clears throat> and I think Darius had like a couple weird interactions involving um, Rachel and Adam that really put him off. And so he kind of decides, I'm out. So he picks up, uh, I think it was Yael and Tiffany, and they go, they go out joyriding in, in some super expensive car. Rachel, out of, I don't, you know, this classic Rachel, calls the police, hoping to get some good footage. And, you know, like now she wants to incorporate, you know, police brutality and how black men are treated by police into the show. And so, long story short, there's an altercation with police that Rachel called. Rachel's worried that Darius is going to mess up his back because the police are jostling him around. She runs out of the woods where she and Coleman are secretly recording the whole thing. Cops get startled. Romeo gets shot. Um, and, one, and so when I say it's 
it solidified what I think about the show in that the show clearly in this season, I'm not sure how much last season, but definitely in this season, is taking it upon themselves to tackle relevant issues to today. You know, we had Ruby, who's a Black Lives Matter activist. We have Darius, the black suitor, who they're using to bring in, you know, all these different issues surrounding, you know, Black Lives Matter. They had, um, I'm forgetting the name of the guy who pretended he created the show, Quinn Beck's boyfriend, who was involved in, you know, men's rights activism, basically. They're bringing in these very topical things, which, you know, I, I like in shows. I like when they bring in things that are relevant to what's happening now. But... And I can't, I haven't yet decided if they're doing this intentionally or accidentally. They're going about it in a way. So if you look at the inter show logic or the intra show logic, you have Rachel who seems to be embodying everything that all the critiques of quote unquote white, white feminism or, you know, white progressive interest in um, in, in racial politics, she seems to be embodying the most negative aspects of that. So you have this woman who thinks that her 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 idea to bring a black man onto Everlasting is so important and so worth doing, and she should get all the credit for it. That she's willing to do things that consciously, that, that either consciously or unconsciously, undermine that effort. So she didn't bring Darius on and say, this is going to be just another everlasting season. And the way that I'm going to show that this is possible is to do it like we've always done it. She says, oh, now it's really important that I imbue the season with all these other things as a way to basically feel good about herself. And one of the things she always says is, I brought the black suitor. I'm doing all these things. I'm showing America this. It's very clearly about Rachel and not about Darius or the broader picture idealistically. It's about the credit she can get for doing this. So the second part of that, I was saying the second part of that is I'm not sure if that's the, I'm not sure if the show's doing that consciously or unconsciously. If you're doing it purposefully, I'd like to see what the payoff is. But my bigger concern is they might be doing it unconsciously. It might be a situation where the people writing the show think that Rachel is right, and that could be more problematic. So I think there's a third way, something in between them doing this on purpose and them unconsciously putting this character in and thinking Rachel is right, which is that I think they're attempting to make a point about where Rachel went wrong and not doing it well enough. And that is actually my theory. I think that they are intelligent enough, and I, I think that Rachel's statements and things that have happened have been so far from acceptable that mm-hmm. they have to be aware, at least on some level, because otherwise that would just be really disturbing. But I yeah. don't think, at least in this last episode, and we'll see what happens in future episodes, I don't think they're doing it well enough. And that's my concern, that there's a line between what they're trying to convey, and they don't want to hit us over the head with it, but at the same time, they're making parts of it too subtle and parts of it not subtle enough. Mm -hmm. 
I, I, I think I agree with you. And one of the things I remember is, I, I don't know whether it was Here to Make Friends or um, Bachelorette Party, but one of those podcasts had um, one of the executive producers from Unreal on the show, and they were talking about the writing process for season two. They said, like, you know, they have a very diverse writer's room, um, and, you know, they looked to, you know, the black women on the shows who are writing for the show specifically to say, you know, just we want to make sure that the things that we are writing ring true. So if you think that something that we're doing is off base or, you know, we're misrepresenting something, let us know and we'll fix it. And so it sounds like the writing process was pretty um, uh, complete and like the people were very diverse. So I'm, I'm tempted to lean towards this is all just one big critique on Rachel it's just hard for me to see. When you use something like Darius's best friend, who I also think might be his cousin, Romeo, gets shot, and the vast majority of the impact of that shooting is from Rachel's perspective. I get that she's your main character, but at that point, you've, faced, you've fridged Romeo to further Rachel's story about her wanting to remedy the injustices done to black people, both big picture, and, um, you know, like police violence and small picture, you know, being able to be cast on a show like Everlasting. And that, that, like, that was sour, that was a sour note for me. I thought that much more attention should have been paid to the impact on Darius, who just saw his, you know, he just saw the people that he entrusted with his, with rebuilding his image, basically engineered a shooting of Romeo and most of the, most of the aftermath is from Rachel's perspective and to, to another extent, Yael's perspective trying to talk to Jeremy. Um, it just, it just rang sour for me. And I think there are ways they could kind of rectify this whole thing. Like if they reveal like, yes, this actually is all a critique on Rachel's, you know, brand of social activism, then I'd be like, okay, I, I get it. But if it's if they were if they were playing this straight up, I'd be really really disappointed. Especially since the episode ends not with a further discussion of what happened to Romeo or how Darius is handling it, but with bringing back this plot line about Rachel's mother being truly terrifying and creepy and manipulative and drugging her and. That just didn't seem like, well, that's an interesting story. This mm -hmm. was not the way to get there, in my mind. Yeah, this this was not the week to bring that up. Like, I think the week, to, maybe like last week where Rachel had just basically been um, assaulted by Jeremy, that would have been a great week to do it. Or a couple weeks before that, I can't remember, um, I can't remember what episode it was. But there were a couple of points in this season where they could have brought that in in a way that didn't reflect so poorly on, on the way they organized the show. I mean, that said, like, I, I, want, I want to be clear, like, I do really, really like the show. It's one of my favorite shows on TV. You know, I was very happy that Constance never got nominated. Very, I was hoping the show would get more nominations. It's just, it seems like this season they're trying to do something good. They're just not doing a great job of it. I don't know that I needed this uh, we'll see what happens with it, but for, even for everything you're saying about the writer's room, I'm not sure that this is the show that should be telling that story. Mm -hmm. so, so where, oh, you mean like this, just like the, you know, police violence story or something like that? 
Yeah, I, I don't know that. I don't know that this is where I'm going. I don't know that the audience for this show or the writers for the show or the reason people watch this show, that, it, that if that's a story that needs to be told, which it does, I don't know that this is a group of people who's going to be able to tell it effectively. But mm-hmm. then again, we'll have to see where else it goes this season. We will. I, I will say, just kind of as, as kind of my at least my closing point. I think that I like that a show like Unreal that appeals to a different demographic, or for the most part appeals to a different demographic, would tackle something like this. Because I think if we if we only if we say that only certain shows can handle things like this, what that might not not might not always, but what that might result in is shows that already appeal to the demographics that know what what's being discussed, it'll just feel like preaching to the choir. Whereas with Unreal, I feel like when they bring that in, they might be introducing that concept, be it in a dramatized, fictional way, to a population of people that might not have really been thinking about it. Do you think that's what they were trying to do, or was this a rating stunt? I think, I think, that's, I think it can be both. I think that you know, they know that there are people out, they know the second that episode airs, there's going to be a lot of press about it. And in that sense, they're absolutely right. But I also do think that the impression I've gotten from the writers, producers, when I've heard them in interviews, is that these are issues they actually really do care about. And they view the show not only as a, a unique entity that's entertaining, but also as a platform where if they intertwine messages like this and these social issues, they can tell a good story while also sort of making people more aware of what's going on in the outside world. You know, some people think that's good. Some people think that that's not the best path to take. I don't mind as long as you do it well. And that's what's bothering me about Unreal this season. So I guess that's my final question for you and sort of my final point. What's worse, a show like this not telling stories like this at all or telling them and telling them poorly? I'd say telling them poorly. If you don't tell them at all, there are other places people can go to get, you know, legitimate, thought-out versions of the same thing. If you tell the story poorly, you leave people with either the completely incorrect perspective on an issue, i.e., you know, the police violence thing is couched in, you know, a white woman's view of the issue rather than, the implications for this black man whose, you know, cousin was just killed. Um, and so I think that's, that's the main problem. I'd rather you ignore it completely than to, than to tell it poorly. Like, if we were in class, I'd much rather the professor not mention a topic, and I just know I need to know it, so I'm going to learn it separately, than teach me that, you know, the rule against perpetuities um, is 35 years, not 21. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, we really need to see where the rest of this episode goes, but, or this season goes. But interestingly, the show, the episode started with sort of a disclaimer, and there was some audio, like, dubbing almost at the end, where I'm wondering if initially they were going to go one way with this episode and then decided to change it because it sounds like there was audio that was edited to make it sound like he doesn't actually die which may not have been their initial, their original plan. I mean, 
I could see – well, the question is most of the season's already – like the entire season's probably already been shot, so how much can you change? If they were doing yeah. something like that, I would assume it would have to do with the fact that there were two incidences of people being killed by police officers in the two weeks leading up to this episode. Um, yeah. But then I'm not sure, like, if they did do that, if if they already wrote and, and filmed the rest of the season with Romeo dead, it's hard to undo that unless you cut all mentions of him. And which would be hard to do because you know, that's going to be a huge storyline for the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, we'll see you next time. Out. Yeah, see you next time. So, Melanie, one thing that we have talked about, like a very, very little bit every now and then as it's come up, is what I'm going to go ahead and call the scourge of of television after shows. It's it's yeah. something that like really bothers me at a in a, like a deep level the fact that these even exist. Um, it used to be simple enough, like you know maybe maybe a, a show would throw some stuff up online afterwards. I don't mind that, but this substituting good airtime to not only unoriginal content, but just like a conversation between random people about the show that just happened um, like like five seconds ago, just ended, seems really silly to me. And I was okay with it when I, when I was only really aware of one of them. But now it seems like every single good show on a network that has, a trouble, that has trouble filling airtime is doing one. Let me just go through the list. You've got... Um, so currently you have uh, after the after the Thrones, uh, which is the Game of Thrones thing for HBO, Talking Saul, which is only used for the premiere and finale episodes of Better Call Saul, Talking Preacher, which is only used for premiere and finale episodes of Preacher, Hacking Robot was just announced, Talking Bad. I mean AMC is the biggest offender of this. I'm just going through a list yeah. of people that have ever had one. AMC is the chief offender. And they sort of kicked off this whole thing. But there are, there are after shows for Mr. Robot, Preacher, Game of Thrones, Better Call Saul, Orphan Black. There, and, uh, and there were after shows for Sons of Anarchy, Breaking Bad, um, and, uh, it's like MTV does it with all their shows, but I don't mind that because MTV can, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> um, but it so, just seems silly. Like, does Fear of the Walking Dead really need an after show? Do you, that, do you Probably not it to make it worth it. It's just, what, what do you think about them? Because I, I've, I could talk to everyone about how much I hate them. So I am not a fan as well. Um, we don't want to be totally negative. So I, I want to say a couple of things. Number one is the reason we decided to do this now was that they announced very recently in the past week that Andy Greenwald, who Alan and I have discussed, we are huge fans of Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan's podcast to watch. Um, but neither of us watched their after the throne show, but Andy Greenwald is going to be doing a Mr. Robot after show. And so I have a couple of issues. One is when you hire really good critics to do this Mm -hmm. and Andy Greenwald is a critic. And that's one of the things that really bothers me about it is because I feel that by doing these shows, he has taken from us the ability 
to see him as a critical eye on these shows. And I Mm -hmm. no longer really believe what he says about these shows. And he's usually my go-to person for knowing if something's worth watching or starting or because I, I think that his taste is almost impeccable and he's honest. But when you work directly for a network, I think you're robbed of that. Two, I don't mind exactly. that these things are on the air. So, so that's number one. Number two is I don't mind these things are on the air because whatever, networks need original content. And if people are watching these, that's fine. I'm not going to. But at least make them good, which part, and that's number three. So don't hire critics. Hire, you know, some, hire an interviewer. Hire a talking head and not a critic. Someone who, or allow the critic to be as critical as they want, which I think there's always a conflict of interest there, and you're never going to really have somebody be that critical. But Mm -hmm. the one way I will say that I've liked this, and I've talked about this before, is FX, and I believe it's late, do a an American post-show podcast, which is never really just a a breaking down the past, the previous episode, but the Americans is a show that is based on things that really happened. There were really these, you know, spies living in the United States and they brought on translators and they brought on former Russian spies and former FBI agents. And so it adds to whatever episode it is. And that's something I can get on board for is is something that adds to the experience that never pretended to be critical and is just about digging deeper into the topics of the show in a different way. It's saying, okay, so what's the reality behind this? And, and a show, you know, that's Game of Thrones is not going to have that, but, you know, Mr. Robot could. You could bring on people and say, so what is – Like, you could bring on an actual hacker, probably not in their face, but say, okay, so talk to me. What is the world of hacking really like? Was this realistic? That might be interesting to me. But for a lot of these other shows, there's absolutely no value you can add unless you are a critic who has no loyalty to the network you're on. I don't mind that the shows – I don't mind, like – the conversations exist. Like, I, I, I do think that people, even if they say they aren't, even if I knew for a fact, even if, sorry, even if they knew for a fact that they weren't pulling their punches as a result of being affiliated with the networks, I, I, I would never believe it as a consumer. And it, I listen to post-show podcasts all the time, so it's not the conversation that bothers me. It's the fact that when you put it on TV as AMC or FX, what you're saying is, we think that this is going to bring in more ad dollars than an original program. And I, and I understand, like, the financial justification. It's cheap. All you need is a studio and some random people to, to fill it. You need a camera, producer, whatever. It's a lot cheaper than producing original content. And you're hoping that, you know, people that just watch this show will be excited enough about it, and a lot of times they are, to hold on to the to that channel for, you know, at least – whatever the required period is uh, for that next hour for them to be able to count you as a viewer and get ad dollars from it. So I understand the motivations. I just think that I, I just don't like it. It just doesn't feel good to me. Every, every post show that I, that I have seen, I've loved the people on it. I'd love to see the actors talking. I'd love to like the hosts are all great. They're all smart. They're all witty. Um, and I think, and I think that you know what they're talking about. It's more on my part, an indictment of the network's, for not being able to generate or find more original content to put into these time slots. So 
Really interestingly, that doesn't bother me at all. There is more original television, scripted television now than there ever has been before to overwhelming numbers. I'm not bothered in the least bit by the fact that these are on these networks' airtime. I don't think they're taking I, – I don't think any networks are not making new content because of this. This kind of content is not as reusable as, a, as actual shows, uh, and I don't – I really have trouble believing that there are good shows out there not being made right now, given how many shows are being made. I just want the content, if it's going to come to me from the network, to be interesting and different. If the network is going to do it, I want to see behind the scenes. I've never been bothered by behind the scenes looks. Those are great. But a recap of the episode, which is what a lot of these after the shows are, that can be done by someone else. And it can be done as a critic, but I don't think that's what I want from the network. And that's what bothers me. But I, interestingly enough, I don't take any issue with this being on the network's air. I think the only, I don't think they'd be running other new content here. I think they'd be running reruns of their shows or reruns of other shows in this time slot or movies. I do not think that there is more television that can be made than what's being made right now. That's fair. So it sounds like you and I are coming to this. From, we dislike them for completely different reasons. <laughs> but we both really – well, no, I think we agree on the fact that we're not fans of, of – that we, we have trouble with critics doing these. And this is – this really shouldn't – it's not just an indictment of Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan. We don't want it to be. But if you're going to be a critic, stay separate. There's a reason that you don't, you know – that you can't be a critic from internally and that we have an independent press and all these things, you know, that's the political thing. Mm-hmm. But here, you know, we want an independent press. Freedom of the press. On that. First yeah. Amendment. Gosh darn it. Um... Thanks for listening to us, everyone. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners are law students, so you're probably taking the bar right now. You guys are going to do so great. You're listening to this post-bar. You guys did so great. Uh, But thank you for listening to us. We are always incredibly excited to have you guys' support. You can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher under Pop Culture Verdict, and uh, on Twitter at Culture Verdict. If you like what you're hearing, please, please, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. I'm by myself doing this this thing at the end here, so I'm just going to say the whole thing. Until next time, we're adjourned.